good morning, Cole, and welcome to the uh, Itabu podcast. Thanks very much, Steve. Uh, it's a pleasure to, uh, to join you. So I, I want to go back in time before we talk about anything to do with recruitment and, and ask mm-hmm. you about um, United Security Services and, and the year 1986. And um, I was reading your LinkedIn profile and I went back in time and you, you started um, in security on the door with USS and uh, became and eventually um, bought out that business. Can you take us back and tell, you know, tell me a bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Look, that was, uh, well, that's more than a lifetime ago now, um, of course, uh, 33 years. Um, look, I, I was um, uh, gifted in respect to uh, my, uh, my body shape, I suppose, Steve. Um, maybe, maybe not so gifted these days. Um, but um, I was a tall fella, um, fairly strongly built and... Uh, um, I started off as a, as a, as a glassy, I suppose, you know, earning extra money when I was at uh, school. And of course, uh, the, the hormones and the genes kicked in and then suddenly I was, uh, um, a big, big strapping lad and I used to go to the gym pretty regularly and, uh, play football and all those sorts of things. So I had the, the physique to, um, you know, potentially, uh, you know, handle most situations. Uh, so I, um, I, you know, quickly went from being glassy and handling, uh, you know, potential altercations within a, a, a hotel or a, or a rest, you know, a hotel or a nightclub type environment to um, being asked to uh, to don a uh, suit and um, and uh, stand on a door and uh, look after, uh, you know, patrons and uh, screen patrons as they came came into hospitality venues and um, I had uh, a friendship with a couple of other gentlemen who. I'd work with during that time. And then we started a business uh, where we saw an opportunity to supply, um, uh, you know, coolers or, you know, which is uh, the the reference in the old Patrick Swayze Roadhouse movie, Um, you know, good public relations staff to stand on doors and and control crowds. Um, So that was um, the birth of USS. And I uh, had an amazing uh, journey with USS on the basis that we grew the business um, not just in um, in Queensland or particularly Brisbane but to Toowoomba and Rockhampton and the Gold Coast and Sunshine Coast and uh, had four or five offices. We uh, were lucky enough to win a very large amount of work back in the, the World Expo days of 1988 uh, when Expo came to Brisbane and um, and then the businesses took off from there, and uh, I bought the uh, the partners, or two of the founding partners, out of the business, and then grew USS down into the into Melbourne um, and over into Western Australia. Um, so, I think back in the day, um, we controlled around sixty five percent of the security or crowd control market um, across southeast Queensland, um, going way way back then. Do, do you have any roadhouse highlights you can share from those days <laughs> look i was uh, it was interesting steve i um i think i i think i raised my hand to maybe half a dozen people in about six and a half years um i've always been known as being a bit of a lover not a fighter and um i think the uh back in those days it was a uh, you know get out get out and get the f out and uh you know people would uh, just throw people um, you know, uh, down flights of stairs, um, whereas these days, um, you know, uh, you need to be a little bit more tactful. And I, I think, uh, uh, look, I, 
I, I could always handle myself in terms of um, you know being able to um, put people out and obviously I'd learnt many many techniques in relation to that not just with my mouth but uh, with my hands so and, uh, and I used to be a black belt in Zindu Kai and and uh, used to you know train my own dojo so um, I was fairly capable I guess but um, I much prefer to um, to communicate and talk and, uh, and and you know make sure that people you know understood the reasons why. I think um, uh, when when I became a publican, uh, which might be another question that you've got, um, you know, um, preceding this one was that I think uh, uh, I think I hit more people, you know, throwing drunks and clowns and you know potentially violent people out of my hotel than I did in six and a half years of standing on doors. Right. Uh, um, I, I took over a really rough pub in the South Brisbane area where, um, ironically, um, parts you know, where Expo was. South Bank was a was a uh, was a dust bowl in Brisbane at the time. The uh, the um, the World Expo Park had been closed, and they were uh, building um, the Brisbane Convention Centre. Uh, I had a uh, uh, it was a, a, a very strong Indigenous um, uh, environment. It was fairly low socioeconomic areas. Uh, we had halfway houses for St Vincent de Paul methadone clinics and the like. You know, within the stone's throw of the hotel, so we were always dealing with you know, very different, you know, transient type characters. And um, uh, look, I, I always tried to adopt the approach, um, you know, look, just uh, go home, you've had a couple too many, or it's probably just not the right place for you. And, um, you know, uh, I used to use the line, look, if you actually think that this is that easy, um, how about I give you the keys and you can run the pub? Um, yeah. And, and, uh, and uh, you know, you'd, you'd usually get some sort of, you know, uh, look from the person that you've said that question to and, uh, and they just turn around and go, fair enough, and just walk away. <laughs> so, um, you know, without actually having to, um, you know, resort to any type of physical confrontation. So, uh, um, and of course, ultimately, you know, that's, um, you know, that's what you want. Um, the last thing you want to be doing is, uh, is getting carpenters' hands and hurting uh, and hurting people um, just for the sake that they're um, they're intoxicated or maybe under the influence of um, some other kind of substance. Do you, and do you still practice any martial arts these days? No, I don't. Um, uh, I think uh, martial arts for me uh, taught me the way of the warrior. Um, I think from a strength of character perspective, um, I've been a pretty resilient mugger and. Uh, I've had uh, lots of uh, pitfalls in, in, in business, um, you know, and uh, been very successful and, and made some poor decisions. I was very successful at a very young age and, um, and made plenty of errors along the way. Um, and uh, I think uh, the, the lesson that I learned really from martial, art, martial arts was discipline and, and uh, the ability to, um, you know, no matter how much it hurts um, and, uh, and how bad you, you know, your, your pride may feel, uh, you've just got to pick yourself back up, dust yourself down and keep going. You know, um, so that, that, that's the biggest lesson I learned out of, uh, of, that, of that, um, that journey and the, that discipline. And, and how did then that journey extend and, and take you through to recruitment? Um, it's kind of interesting, actually. Um, I uh, made, the, made the, the common mistake that I think some people do in business is that they, you know, you fall in love, you know, you fall in love with things that you do and, and I fell in love with the hotel that I that I owned or leased, and um, and I signed the deal with the devil. I, I really probably wasn't um, you know commercially savvy enough to um, to look at the finer detail, and uh, and I signed a deal with the devil. Um, you know, fell in love with the with the hotel. I, I was there for seven or eight years running the running the property, and um, ultimately I could end up paying the rent. Um, you know, we uh, 
we had some difficulties with the with the then owner um, who was aging and wanted to sell the business and um, and then uh, we uh, will sell the hotel um, we didn't agree on a number of different points and uh, and consequently um, you know we uh, decided to um, to put the business into <coughs> excuse me into voluntary administration so suddenly I was going okay well what am I going to do um, I was a pretty handy golfer at the time uh, I used to uh, be a scratch player or you know probably plus two plus three in uh, the Australian handicapping um, uh, regime these days and um, I thought about okay well do I you know put my head down and knuckle down and try and make a dollar on the tour or um, you know and then I, I, you know back in those days obviously unlike um, uh, Itabu and what you do from the digital marketing and, uh, and job posting perspective we always used to look at the Saturday's paper and there was an advertisement for, for a state manager role with an engineering company um, who had an appetite to, uh, to win business um, at the Sydney Olympics so I applied for the role and um, uh, I, I you know, accepted the role and they offered the role to me. I accepted it um, and I took over a, um, an engineering company that specialised in contract maintenance. Um, but uh, the, 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 the main reason that they hired me was, you know, well, I was a chef by trade and they, um, they wanted to, uh, to position themselves to win work at the Sydney Olympics. Um, uh, as part of uh, a master uh, master vendor um, solution that um, the Deco or Ardia back in those days had, and uh, we were successful in doing that and uh, supplying around two hundred and fifty odd um, wait staff stewards um, and the like uh, to the Sydney Olympics in two thousand. So I went from uh, being a hotelier, um, you know, almost welcome to the party that never ended, um, to yeah. uh, to you know um, going into contract maintenance and. And working, uh, you know, placing baller makers and fitters and and uh, you know, trades assistants and all that in you know, the engineering disciplines, um, uh, and grew that business very, very nicely. And then at the time, um, uh, a few changes happened in my personal life, and um, I was headhunted by uh, Manpower Group, and Manpower um, offered me a number of different positions, and I uh, relocated from Brisbane and moved to Townsville, uh, where I ran all of Northern Australia as a regional operations manager. So that's how I, um, that was the transition from being hotelier to recruitment. And then, and now today you, you've got um, two hats with RecTech Solutions mm. and uh, rates, rates Calc. Mm. Yeah, the, look, the recruitment industry was an amazing journey for me, Steve. I, uh, I mean, look, I've always been a people person, a relationship person, and uh, the, the journey took me from, you know, from Townsville to Brisbane to the Gold Coast. I mean, I'm talking, you know, where you live uh, geographically. Um, and uh, the last uh, the last gig I had um, was with Manpower in national sales. Um, so I was a Manpower guy originally, and then I went back eight and a half years later, albeit under different leadership. Um, I had Malcolm Jackman as the first CEO and then Lincoln Crawley as the second CEO. Um, but uh, I moved out of the operational side of things and went into sales. Uh, with a very strong focus on RPO and MSP and, uh, and a number of different other um, technology-based uh, uh, delivery solutions. Um, and I guess the, uh, the dark clouds came over the sky in 2012. Um, my verticals were in construction, infrastructure and resources. Um, right. So resources being mining and oil and gas. Um, so this commodity prices started heading south. BHP started pulling all of their investment out of Australia. Um, so, you know, as you can imagine, the, you know, the sales pipeline decimates um, and Manpower's a, you know, big, big global organisation and uh, 
they made the decision to um, uh, to, to let go of a number of different people, um, you know, within uh, Australia at the time, and uh, and I was one of them. Um, the whole national sales team was. So we um, we found ourselves, um, you know, on the uh, you know, I suppose you could say on the on the street. So um, I felt that that may have been coming, um, and I I've, I joined an organisation. Um, I had absolutely no idea whatsoever at all about cloud um, and cloud uh, technology. And I went and worked for an organisation where I deployed a, um, uh, their software into a 100-seat, 24-branch agency back in 2003, which was the journey after the first manpower stint. Um, and that was a business called Recruitment Systems. So Neil Bolton gave me a start in the industry, um, which I'm, I'm very... That's very early about. SaaS, 2003. Yeah, that's correct. Very early. Correct. Um, and um, he, uh, we, he gave us a shot. Um, I finally worked out uh, uh, you know, where his sweet spot was, did very, very well for him. Um, but um, uh, at the time, again, you know, personal circumstances changed. My mother was getting ill and um, I was spending a lot of time in Asia and traveling and uh, I'd uh, lost my sibling sister, um, you know, a few years earlier and, um, you know, you've only got one mum, right? So, uh, I, um, I parted ways with Neil, started Rectech Solutions on her dining room table because I saw a value in, in my operational experience and, and uh, background in recruitment, um, but also having a spin and a bit of a flair for tech um, where I could help organisations through the process of selecting technology and making the right decisions and getting their business ready for operational excellence. So the Rectech journey has been um, um, uh, terribly rewarding. I've helped... Uh, over 130 agencies um, since that, uh, that that day, you know, back in you know 2014 uh, when I started, um, but uh, that gave me the opportunity to, you know, get under the bonnet of a lot of the different tech in market, um, in particular operational systems and pay and bill systems, and um, and with RatesCalc uh, was born, uh, I just spotted a gap um, and called it an epiphany. Um, I went back to my operational experience um, of working in recruitment and the difficulties of navigating rate calculations, you know, issuing of employment contracts and, and of course, uh, other different supply models. And uh, so I um, decided to um, become a technologist and, and build a piece of tech um, that could help the industry. And I guess the, you know, the legacy I want to leave, you know, um, is the fact that, I've, that I made a difference to um, operational excellence and expertise in relation to the calculations of rates in Australia here, we have a very, very, very complex um, legislative and industrial environment. Um, we don't get to uh, interpret awards and agreements um, in high school or university. Um, and uh, look, I was constantly making mistakes myself, as well as the fact that, you know, you, you know in operational roles, you were getting exceptional reports of marginal leakage and margin erosion. Um, and uh, of course, uh, it, it was purely just errors um, or in some cases recruiters taking the least path of resistance um, and uh, you know trying to take shortcuts in other words and, um, and mistakes were being made which obviously has a, a massive effect downstream um, in the pay and bill system in, in order you're not paying your people correctly but also the fact that you're not invoicing your customers correctly so um, so we decided to uh, well I decided to, to build rates calc and, um, and that's how that journey started so from um, you know the the heady days as you mentioned, uh, which I didn't expect you to raise in this um, in this podcast of uh, 1986 and standing on doors of uh, of clubs, here I am now, um, 33 years later, um, 
designing and, uh, and and growing out an award-winning technology um, that's helping, you know, not too dissimilar really, um, the staffing uh, supply chain industry. Well, if, if it makes you feel any better, um, in early '90s, I was running nightclubs in Manchester. So, um, right, you get I, it. I've also been on a slightly, yeah, slightly uh, interesting <laughs> journey. Um, so when you're talking with recruitment agencies and you're looking at how they implement technology, mm. what would be your view in terms of the typical efficiency quotient that um, agencies are getting from their tech stacks? I think the, and it's interesting, you raised the word SaaS and very early SaaS. Um, there's no doubt uh, that you know we're heading towards you know pass right we're heading for you know platform as a service um, yep. and, I, and I think that there's uh, you know you're seeing the bigger players in market you know align you know to create a, a real you know as I like to refer it um, a, a really good spine of the team you know whether you're talking yes. soccer rugby you know or rugby league or Australian rules you've got to you know let's, let's just refer to rugby given it's the tone and it's a rugby world cup at the moment you've also got a great fly half and you've got a great halfback and you've got a great fullback um you know and and, and uh, you know not that you can probably tell I don't know rugby that well because um, I was not as a rules guy but uh, um you know if, you, if you've got that spine of of your system right um the core platform right uh, then you can you, you should be able to interchange any type of piece of technology that uh, that you want uh, to uh, to incorporate in any parts of your process. And I think the, there's a number of organisations that are doing it very very well um, in terms of uh, having open APIs and uh, the ability to integrate um, in a more seamless manner um, than uh, than others. And I think you know it's really coming down to. I think when I first started getting into tech consulting in Australia, there were 53 different systems available in market, front office alone. Um, and I think that that market um, has um, has reduced considerably. I think it's, it's probably an eight to 10 horse race here now. Um, you know, there's, there's obviously still a lot more around, but uh, um, I think they're wilting on the vine purely because they just can't keep up the, uh, the, the speed of technology and the investment required. Because the uh, a company that, for example, focusing on a local install uh, system, you're, you're so much, your inefficiencies are so much greater than a company that's pure SaaS. It's, you, you can't run at the same speed as them. No doubt about that. Um, I think um, the, the, there's less and less bespoke platforms. Um, you know, I think the classic example, I suppose, is probably healthcare, Steve. You still see a lot of... Um, very old technology existing in the in the healthcare aged care space, um, probably more so than any other industry in this in this market, um, and that that's obviously going to change. But I, I think you've got to look at the profile um, of the people that are running those businesses, and and uh, you know without generalising, you know, which is very unfair of me, of course, a lot of the smaller businesses. Um, and you know they're they're people that have had relationships and been working in the healthcare industry for many years and and know a number of nurses as an example um, you know theatre nurses whatever the case may be and they've just you know decide to on hire all their friends you know um, and um, and I think that that's something that um, uh, the health how that's evolved um, you know probably not dissimilar to other agencies in the way that they've evolved but. Um, I think there's more bespoke applications still still existing in that in that vertical rather than than in many others. Yeah. So just just to try and get a 
a rough um, rough figure off you. If if you look at typically the 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 average agency, the effectiveness of their tech use, where where would you place them at? When you, you know, when you go in and you're looking to make improvements, what's the what's the typical improvement that you believe a company could be making through better use of technology? Um, look, to be fair, um, and it's a great question. Um, one thing that I find about the the industry and the time that I've spent with it and spent with different business owners is most owners just want to know that it's okay um, and they're just working. You know, um, I think that too many decisions are, are made in a more of a maverick style. Um, I think the the organisations you know need to get away from the you know, take the emotion um, out of uh, the decision making process. Um, but I, I think the the opportunities are endless for different organisations. I think the, the reality is, though, is that you need to be able to compare the apples with the oranges. Um, and when you're looking at a particular piece of technology, um, it, it's ticking those boxes and, and ensuring that they do the basics. Um, you know, something like, for example, Outlook integration, you know, or Gmail integration. I'm astounded at the amount of systems that actually don't have that nailed. Um, and, you know, we, we, we live and send, you know, information, you know, across the web, you know, through Outlook or Gmail every day. Um, but uh, just even capturing that rather than having to have some kind of, you know, specific, uh, you know, URL code um, that you need to remember to put into a BCC to, to capture that information or that communication to a candidate or a client, I think it's just outrageous. Um, so um, it, it's really getting the 101 questions um uh up front and don't get too caught up in the eye candy um and yeah. i think that's my best advice don't get too caught up in the eye candy and really just get down into the weeds um and i think that um you know having you know no recruitment business you know outside maybe the larger guys you know the mid to mid mid size to the enterprise level you know have the skill set you know um within their organization to actually make the right decision um, so the need to, to have a conversation uh, with, a, with somebody that may be independent um, and can actually take a, a pragmatic view of their business um, and not get to get caught up in the white noise. I think the worst thing that anybody can do is hit demo request, um, you know, on, on a vendor's website. Um, as soon as you open the door, um, you're going to get hounded and, um, and you're going to get caught up in the white noise, you know. Um, so I think that, you know, the, the, uh, you've got to really just look at the, the business and the business requirement um, first before engaging with a, with a, with a vendor um, yeah. and then um, and map that out, you know. Um, and, you know, where I see things come unstuck, and it's usually, you know, in 12, 18 months, two years' time, it's, you know, you read for me and being a vendor myself as well, you know, you, you see too many, there's blood on the streets on everyone, right? Um, there's always someone complaining about something and ultimately the software vendor is the one that gets, you know, gets blamed. Um, and that's not necessarily the case. I think it comes down to a bit of naivety. Um, you know, people have, um, you know, been too quick. Okay, well, let's get, to, you know, which one should we be using, Cole? You know, um, and not actually... Uh, you know, running a process and, and, and following a due process and also engaging the right members of your team. Um, uh, you know, that's one of the critical success factors of a successful uh, implementation of a piece of technology is engaging your team and the people are actually going to be using yeah. it, you know, um, because if you haven't got their buy-in, then, you know, you're pushing it uphill. As, yeah, as, absolutely. You know, so I, I think that, you know, people do get caught up a little bit too much in the, you know, have a chat chat with their mates down the pub on a Friday afternoon, 
um, you know, what are you using? Oh, it must be good for us. Uh, must be good if it's good for you, it's good for us. Um, and then the next thing, do to do it the Monday and the, the phone rings and it goes to the, the other vendor and the next thing, you know, they're on a course um, without actually, you know, um, uh, you know, applying, you know, fundamental due diligence. Um, so that, that I think is, is, is a major issue, particularly in the smaller end of town. You know, um, I, I think you see a lot of turnover and a lot of change happening in that space. And, um, and that's not healthy for the industry. Um, and it's a massive disruption um, for that. So I, I think coming back to your point, um, understanding what your real costs are uh, for tech, um, you know, and, and, I, and I mean that in, in, a, in a very clear way. I was uh, engaging with an organisation recently, which uh, were about 25 seats. Their total cost of spend um, for their tech in their business was um, just shy of $600 a head. I mean, so, you know, in, they, they work in mid-tier market, mainly perm, bit of a temp book, uh, you know, probably average fees of around, um, you know, the 18,000 mark, 20 or 15, you know, 15 to 18,000 mark. But, but, but how's that sustainable? You know, when you've got 30 heads at, you know, $600 a, mm. uh, a month, you know, um, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, I think there's been too much reactive buying in that business. Um, and, uh, and whether it be because they've bought a system that uh, doesn't have the basics of what they need or the other side of it, right, which is probably more the case, is they've actually said yes to too much to too many clients um, where they've needed all of these types of different types of reporting or, you know, a different type of deliverable or a range of different types of, you know, psychometric testing or whatever, whatever part is played in the process um, in order to deliver um, the, um, the result for the customer. Um, so they really haven't uncovered, uh, you know, the, the delivery model that the customer or the expectations of the customer. Um, so therefore, then they've, they've gone and had to go and subscribe to a whole range of other different pieces of technology, maybe specifically mm. just to deliver that piece of piece of work. Um, and that's blowing their tech, their tech costs out. I just want to go back to something you mentioned earlier. You're talking about MSP RPO. Mm. For the people that don't, who are listening and don't know, could you explain the difference between recruitment process outsourcing and managed services provision? Yeah, I think the um, I think the world is changing, um, and and I'd like to probably throw in TBO there as well, task-based outsourcing. I think that we've seen we've seen an emergence of RPO, which you know fundamentally is is either project-based or it's a, it's an unbundled version um, uh, of a delivery of a model whereby an organisation will essentially outsource parts or all of their recruitment processing function. Um, you know, I think that, you know, that, that sort of, you know, took off in the, I suppose, probably the mid-2000s. The mid um, T2 were, you know, and Andrew and, and that crew over there um, really took the ball by the horns and, and really blew out the RPO space and... And, and, and did really, really well there um, and took it, you know, obviously over into the UK. I think MSP, um, you know, the, the, the managed vendor, neutral vendor, um, you know, hybrid vendor model um, is continuing to evolve. Um, and look, and I've, I've watched this space. Sorry, what, what do you mean by hybrid vendor, vendor model? 
So master vendor, a master vendor would be, you know, fundamentally a, a, a core vendor um, and they would make some kind of commitment to the organisation that they've signed that they will fill, you know, a particular percentage and it's usually in the 80%, 80 percentile um, of all roles that come, you know, that are needed to be filled internally at that particular organisation. Right. A neutral vendor solution um, is uh, is where you know fundamentally all you've been is an administrator. Um, you, you're looking after the the vendors, managing all of the vendors, and managing all of the invoicing and the procurement processes, um, and ensuring the compliance and governance is is applied across the contract. Um, where hybrid um, a hybrid vendor may be a uh, uh, you know, you may have a master vendor, but you're using multiple vendors um, and it's a shared responsibility um, in various verticals in order to be able to deliver a solution. Um, and you see platforms like Fieldglass, Beeline, um, you know, arguably some of the emerging ones like Commensura, um, where you're starting to see those um, tools um, gather pace, um, particularly in healthcare particularly in government and council, uh, state, federal government. Uh, you know, people are looking to, to outsource that, that whole management, that vendor management process in order to get consistency across their invoicing, um, across their whole procurement processes and, and, and then around compliance. And I think the, you know, particularly in, in you know, and I mentioned T TBA or task-based outsourcing. And, and I think that, you know, what you're actually fundamentally seeing with task-based outsourcing, and I know, I've been watching this with interest over the last decade, um, and it's, it's been gathering momentum. And fundamentally what that is, is it's basically any deal, you know, where an agency takes an operational responsibility for the outcome and the performance of a client's business function. Um, and the pricing model is mostly, but not necessarily related to the outcome. And this is a real shift from a commodity-based service to a sustainable value-added service mm -hmm. where, you know, the management of risk and compliance is, is the key focus area. Um, it, it's where we need to be able to design and deploy, deploy you know, combined asset solutions. And, in, and the drivers are, you know, around cost reductions, you know, flexibility, quality, you know, business intelligence and sustainability. And I, and I guess the value um, to our industry um, in the, in the prospect of long-term contractual engagements, uh, guaranteed revenue streams, and sustainable business models, which you know, ultimately will recession-proof your business. And, and I think that you know, we're seeing the, the, the re-emerging of second and third generation outsourcing models, you know, such as BPO or business process outsourcing, and, and the consolidation and centralization of, the, of these functions. And I think you know, our industry, you know, particularly maybe say 10 years ago, Steve, you know, as, as, as much as I would like to call it um, entrepreneurial, was fairly conservative by nature, um, I feel, and a number of its functions now um, are sitting offshore, uh, which is a monumental mm. shift to where it was. Um, yeah, examples of this are things such as, you know, CV formatting and reference checking and, yep. you know, talent pooling and all those types of things. Um, but I think you, you know, some of those are going to be taken over by tech. You know, well, they already are. I mean, you've got you know, your ex-refs and referees and, and those types of tech um, that are sort of starting to, to gather momentum in the, in the reference checking space. And then, of course, you the CV formatting, you've got Resume Mate and you know, a number of other pieces that are starting to, to gather traction. 
Um, so some of those, you know, I guess, you know, um, labour intensive, less meaningful, albeit, you know, it's probably unfair to say that, tasks that have started to get, you know, offshored over, say, the last five or six years, um, I think that's going to change again. Um, and uh, so it, it, it's an interesting world. Um, you know, payroll processing, you know, all of those data entry type, type things, um, you know, timesheet interpretation in that regard. You know, you're seeing all of those types of functions, depending on who the agency is, you're seeing that starting to shift um, offshore. Um, and I would almost say that, um, you know, 40% of this market in Australia, um, you know, in that sort of 10 seat to, um, you know, the multinationals um, have some kind of function of their business outsourced. I think there's probably a, <clears throat> excuse me, a marrying with the way technology is evolving as well. Because if you're a, a business offering an outsource, uh, uh, providing outsource, uh, outsource, uh, excuse me a second, just cough. Um, yeah. So if you're a, if you're a software provider and you 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 provide um, services, um, so you have a combination where you say, yeah, we focus on uh, CB formatting, for example, and your, your go-to market-wise is to have people doing it. But as you develop technology, you look to automate. And by focusing, you can also start to hybrid. So as you develop your technology, you begin to automate more the process, but there's still intervention with human operators to tweak sets. So I see the task-based outsourcing market growing also as a byproduct to the way that as a company, a company would specialize in providing a particular service and the scale for that business will be in deploying software, which eventually automates and takes over the need for large teams to provide that service. So you become very, very service specific in terms of what you offer back to the market. Yeah. And then as a exactly. as a an agency, you you then plug into the APIs of obviously many, many um task ba- based outsourcing providers, I guess. No doubt about that. I think the um and there's and there's a fundamental shift. Uh I'm not sure where we're seeing it um overseas, um, to be fair, because i you know, my, my interests have been very much focused in Australia and New Zealand, Steve, and um I, I, I raised with you prior to the to this session um, the the rise of statement of work. Yeah. Um, and statement of work, um, you know, is being driven by procurement. Can you um, can you just define what you know statement of work? What does it mean? Yeah. So basically, um, I'm an organisation. Um, I have uh, a particular function in my business or an outcome, you know, that I need to um, achieve. And instead of engaging um, staff myself uh, to uh, deliver that outcome, um, they're de-risking their business um, by engaging recruitment agencies or contracting companies to deliver that work um, uh, as a statement of work. So fundamentally under a purchase order, right? Right. And... I think that the government now uh, are, are looking at that and I think larger organisations are looking at that and going, okay, we've, we've got X amount of people working for us doing this type of work. Um, 
no different to um, almost like break and fix, you know, the old break and fix IT guy, you know. Um, we've, we've got a building, it's 10 storeys high, we've got X amount of, um, uh, you know, uh, fluorescent light bulbs or light, you know, um, lights in uh, the building. Give us a price to actually um, replace those once a year and maintain. Mm-hmm. Um, and give us a, and various milestones around that process. Now that's a that's a very simplified way of putting it. Um, but uh, yeah, we're talking about fixed fixed pricing, right? So fixed pricing, maybe some variable variations um, depending on what's written into the PO and the, the statement of work. But I, I see, you know, um, first, secondary, third milestone, um, you know, uh, models that are starting to emerge. And I think you know because of the the realities of the gig economy, um, you know, we, we use, you know, popular apps like Uber Eats and, you know, Deliveroo and Foodora and Airtasker and all of these, you know, and this is another subject which we'd clearly get off, um, get off subject here today with those. Um, you know, how, how are they being managed? You know, how was the compliance side of it being managed? Um, you know, the governance and compliance, particularly in Australia, and, and, it's, and it's becoming more and more prevalent in New Zealand now, is the fact that, um, you know, organisations are trying to de-risk um, their exposure to potential underpayment um, of employees and, and, and candidates. And uh, you're seeing more purchased or purchase order-based statement of work that's been explored by organisations. There's a definite shift in that regard. And I think, you know, as an agency, sure, you know, we've got a talent pool. We've got a, you know, we've got a relationship with an organisation. But, you know, look, we might need to provide that person, but we also might need to provide them with a laptop computer. Um, Or we might need to provide them with a vehicle um, or whatever it may be. So give us a price based on the the labour cost plus the materials cost. Um, or, or you know, additional costs in order to be able to deliver that work on time to our satisfaction for this price. And does that does that kind of dovetail into task based outsourcing? You need your statement of work to then yeah. facilitate facilitate the TBO. Yep, absolutely correct. So, and 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 I see that as being a a, a massive shift. Um, you know, it, it, this year has been an interesting one in Australia, Steve. Obviously, we, we, we had an election in May, which, you know, has been called the unlosable election, you know, in relation to Labor, not that I want to get into politics. Um, I think there was a big sigh of relief in relation to the uh, the policies that were being put forward by the Labor government um, and a big sigh of relief by the industry here in Australia that that actually didn't eventuate. Um, it was almost like an, a potential Armageddon, um, you know, um, situation if um, if there was going to be a change of government, um, because everything everything seemed to be hopping along quite nicely. The recruitment industry is um, doing well, um, but we've seen some landmark cases um, in the last twelve months, particularly around mining and the coal industry, where um, you know incorrect information or maybe. Um, the agencies haven't been clear on the right amount of the right information that's been presented to a candidate about their status of employment. And by not doing that, um, uh, there's been just, you know, you've probably heard or seen it, and this double dipping 
um, you know, of uh, you know, a candidate saying, well, you know, I've got a permanent roster. I've been given this roster 12 months in advance. Um, so therefore, I'm, I should be deemed as being an empl- a permanent employee, albeit they've been getting paid as a casual. Um, so all of those those things come into play um, when it comes down to de-risking. And, and I think that, um, uh, and I think most people in Australia, you know, very clearly understand that, that the, the, the organisation that is most at risk in relation to um, uh, the, the, the uh, determination of whether someone is a permanent employee or a casual employee um, is the government. <laughs> because they employ over two and a half thousand casuals, right. yeah. two and a half, two and a half million casuals, I beg your pardon, um, in Australia. Um, so they're, they're probably the most exposed. <laughs> so if you want to bring on immediate recession, you know, uh, get a high court ruling against uh, against that, and uh, you know you're, you're in an immediate recession. Um, it'll 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 send us all broke. <laughs> so, and you know, and again, we could we could get to completely off track here and, and head down the conversations. I think, you know, Julie Mills and, um, and, and Charles Cameron in particular um, have been heading the, um, heading the, uh, the fight and taking the fight to, um, to government in relation to, uh, to agency work um, and the need for agencies um, and, of course, the, um, uh, the, the flexibility that people enjoy. Um, and I think most agencies would uh, would go to their casual workforce or their temporary workforce or, or their contractors and say, "Do you do you want to be employed as a permanent employee?" And, and most would, you know, I'd say very high percentage of them, probably ninety percent of them would say, "No, we don't. Um, we're enjoying the the casual relationship where we can uh, we can work when we want to, um, and you know, know when we're working, um, and we actually are quite happy with the money that we're being paid, you know." Um, there also seems to be a commonality with when you look at the task-based outsourcing slash statement of work approach. Yeah. Um, how a business is changing um, operationally for efficiency reasons, and then Absolutely. you go back to software providers. And if you're not um, software as a service, or really now, as you said, platform as a service. Yes. If you haven't reached platform as a service, then you're probably going to say be able to say goodbye to a lot of the competitors who are staying in a, a SaaS only type space, but everything is about leveraging the uh, really leveraging technology in the way that you can communicate easy to other agencies, um, other organizations um, so that you can get stuff done at scale with variable costs much quicker, whether it's taking on, um, a SaaS provider and being able to oh. nudge, nudge the seats up and down whenever you need to. There's no install costs, right. etc. Or yeah. you've got task-based outsourcing, so that can that can flex with your requirements over time. Um, yes. You know, right. you can control your fixed costs as a business. Um, right. And there, there seems to be a lot of commonality there in in what would what's going on at the moment. So as a business, if you can't if you can't grab hold of those efficiencies you're going to be in, in big trouble. No doubt about that. Um, all we need is a, all we need is a shift in market and, um, and a lot of organizations will cease to exist um, because they, they haven't foreseen those changes or they haven't uh, aligned themselves to the right technology vendors um, and started exploring um, the range of different types of models um, in order to, uh, to meet the market. And I mean, that's about having the conversation, you know, it's having the conversation with um, your, um, uh, constituency and with your clients, 
you know, um, and, and try and understand what they're thinking. Um, I think, uh, you know, we, we talk about AI and AI has been around for years, you know. Um, we talk about uh, machine learning and, you know, that's been the big focus over the last, um, you know, the last two years. I mean, I think the year, year before that, it was all about blockchain, right? There's mm-hmm. always, uh, you know, there's always, uh, um, you know, uh, a disruptor, I suppose, that you could, um, you could point to. Um, but uh, um, I think, you know, more and more, now i think uh you, you know, next year is going to be about the you know the, this year was about the year of compliance next year it's about um, more okay um certainly here in uh, in australia new zealand no doubt about that just just before we start closing out the conversation I, i'd like to ask you a bit about artificial intelligence and your your views on it mm. um where, where do you sit in terms of when does an algorithm become um, artificial intelligence versus and, and and perhaps with that you know do you have any views on general artificial intelligence uh, anything think, you'd like to share yeah look um steve it's been one of those ones where there's been an absolute flood of of technologies in that space uh, whether it be ai whether it be chatbots you know all of those bits and pieces um you know, simply, uh, uh, you know, a proliferation of those offerings. And I, and I, and I think from my perspective, um, the, anything that can, anything that can, I mean, we live in such a fast paced world, um, but, you know, in certain markets, sure, you know, AI, like when you're talking about short listing, you know, uh, picking up on, you know, uh, people's social behaviours and, you know, how often they're looking at, you know, job boards or, you know, where, you know, the, where their, their web footprint is, um, you know, is all interesting information. Um, you know, when, you know, the day of, of being a data manager, which is, you know, fundamentally what a recruiter is these days, uh, uh, no different to back in my days when I started, back in the USS days of bin cards um, and, <laughs> and brick mobile phones when they came out. That was, a, yeah. that was, a, that was interesting times. Um, <coughs> sure. There's a place for it. There's no doubt about that. And and I think a lot of a lot of uh, recruiters, you know, there's a, there's a, there's an argument about you know biased versus unbiased, um, uh, you know, preferencing in relation to shortlisting of candidates, um, and, and you know, depending on uh, whether they're Anglo-Saxon or you know um, the, what their surnames may be or whatever the case may be, they they seem to make some kind of decision around that. So I think AI can remove some of that um, that biased. Um, approach um, to recruitment but it is my I suppose my question is is that an intelligence of of some sort or is it just a algorithm a formula yeah. that if you take surnames you're saying well if surname equals this do that yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just intrigued to know yeah. um, the the word artificial intelligence is is used but if it if it just represents a, a, yeah. a yeah. A piece of computer programming. Well, we've had that yeah, you know, since the 1950s. Yeah. 1950s, yeah, exactly. Yeah, look, I um, look. I think there's a place for it. Um, it's just a matter of how it's deployed and how it's used. Um, I, I've I've spoken, you know, recently. Um, you know, when I say recently, over the recruitment yarns tour, we were talking about some different types of AI and, and things like shortlisting. You know, um, and I just probably like to reference it, reference back to shortlisting, if I may. Um, you know, one particular, uh, well, a couple of the companies that I was talking to were using a particular AI tool for shortlisting. 
um, they were struggling to come to grips with the, with the, with the cost and, and the return on investment for it. Um, where, you know, good old fashioned belly to belly, you know, um, reference checking um, was giving them, you know, better outcomes. Um, so um, I, I think it still judges out. Um, I think it depends on the, on the, on the organisation. I think it depends on the verticals that you're playing in. Um, I mean, generally speaking, we're, we're working with a, you know, if I don't shoot me down a commodity or a, or, or, or a product that doesn't necessarily want to be sold. Um, and in particular, um, in that, uh, that, you know, let's say the blue collar market, um, they're, not, uh, they're not great at selling themselves. Their CVs are usually pretty garbage. Uh, there's not enough information on them. Uh, you know, you usually find the wife um, or the girlfriend that's put the CV together for them. So, and you, you would know this very well, you know, with your organisation. Um, you know, it, it's near on impossible to be able to get a clear picture on what someone's going to be like and how they're going to perform on a job. Mm. Um, so there's always going to be um, the need for, you know, if you, you know, sure, in the executive space and, and, and the like in, in more professional space, there's a definite need for it. But, um, you know, I'm certainly not an expert in that space. And then being able to, to wade through, you know, the, as I said, the proliferation of those offerings, um, for me, you know, boy, it'd be almost nearly a full-time job um, in, in, in really assessing those um, particular pieces of tech. Mm. Well, just before we close out, is there, are there any key pieces pieces of advice you'd like to to um, to provide around the recruitment industry? Thoughts on the industry today? I mean, you've already you've already offered a a, a, a good few in the conversation, but I, I wonder if there's any any that you'd like to end on. Look, I think uh, look, I've got my my own views. I've, I've been known to be opinionated. Uh, I encourage the industry to collaborate more together. Um, you know, working groups, uh, meetups, all of those bits and pieces. We, that was our message when we took yarns to the, to the, to the table four years ago. Um, it was an amazing journey for us. And, um, we, we really made a difference. Um, I think to what we contributed to the market, um, in encouraging collaboration, we are a community and I think the, you know the you know the, the 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 putting the the barriers up and the brick walls up around your business, um, and not necessarily maybe talking to your competitor, um, or you know working collaboratively with um, with like-minded professionals. I think is something that I would encourage, and I would encourage any listener to do. Purely because you don't know what you don't know, and I think that um, you know there's there's more power you know with with more minds and. I think it's definitely the day of the boutique. Um, you know, the day of the generalist is gone. Um, you're seeing it. We're, we're seeing, you know, anywhere from, you know, four to eight new agencies opening in Australia and New Zealand every week. Um, it's that many. Right. Uh, and, you know, they're little one-seat, two-seaters, you know, and some of yep. those will grow and some of them will fall over. Um, yeah. And it's a bit of a lonely world out there, you know, when you're starting a business and, um and I just encourage people just to, to reach out to their colleagues, stay in touch. And it's a lot easier to do that these days, Steve, through social media and, and, um, and through, you know, your, your LinkedIn tools and all those types of things. And um, I just encourage them to do that. Um, I think the, the, the other piece of advice is, um, you know, don't rush into tech, take your time. Um, I know it's easy just to, to go and use something that you might have used in the past. Um, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. 
um, at all. Um, however, um, keep your mind open, dedicate time to looking at different technology because it, it's going to make you or break you um, moving forward. Um, and really look at the risks um, in the business. I, th I think the, a lot of people don't understand the, the risk in the business and the, and, and, and the key risk, you know, in, in, and for success in any business, as you well know, Steve, is, is, is about cash flow. Um, you know, you, you've got to have your cash flow. And uh, so yep. there's a number of different organisations that, that offer um, different types of cash flow, cash flow solutions out there. Um, and I think, um, you know, the, the most important thing, I think, is... Um, is, is resilience, you know, um, keep resilient. I, I, I think that, you know, there may be some, some rocky times ahead over the next um, 12 months. Um, I, I don't uh, think it's all peaches and cream. Um, you know, the, the stats are saying that there's going to be a few changes in this market. I'm not a negative person by any stretch. I've been through a number of different, uh, let's put it these, those R words a few times, um, or R word periods a few times, but um, I think there's a few, uh, you know, rough, rough times ahead over the next 12 to 18 months. So, um, you know, maintain your costs. Um, uh, don't take on too much contingent work um, in, in respect to, um, you know, permanent recruitment work. Um, you know, work hard for sole supply um, uh, engagements or exclusive and, uh, and focus on growing your temple. Um, but look at the different types of models that you could potentially explore when you're building out your temp business um, because your customers, believe me, they're up for it. They're ready for it. Um, they want to have that conversation. Uh, just turning up and saying, yep, I can get you a temp and, and provide you with this rate and, and the like um, in, in five years, seven years' time, I think, um, is going to be, look very, very different to what it is today. And how can people get in touch with you? How can they find out more about you? Um, look, most certainly, uh, I'm a little bit of a, uh, a LinkedIn tart. You'll find me on LinkedIn. I'm always posting blogs. Uh, find me at Rectech, um, you know, rectechsolutions.com.au and, of course, uh, ratescalc.com, which is my baby. That's the one that I'm driving. Um, you know, we're having a, an amazing run. Uh, we've built a really, really good piece of tech um, for anybody that's, uh, that's playing in the temp and contingent space. Um, and it, it wouldn't surprise you, Steve, that our, uh, that our roadmap is, um, is to statement of work. Right? That's where we're heading. Um, and we, right. hope, we hope to be there by August. So uh, we deliver a, a solution to any employment type in Australia, um, whether it be casual, there'd be temp, flat rates, uh, you know, um, perm, part-time, uh, you know, apprentices, trainees, um, every possible employment type you've got in Australia, contractors and the like, we, we support. Um, and, uh, and we'll take our first international foray into New Zealand by March uh, 2020. Um, so I hope to get over, um, over in the UK at some point, um, you know, later in 2020 or maybe in 2021. But, uh, um, you know, look, I... I'm always open for a conversation. I'm happy to help people and happy to help them with their, uh, with their business. And uh, yeah, please feel free to get in touch. But, um, but Steve, um, thank you very, very much for the opportunity to present uh, and, and have a conversation with you today. It's been a pleasure. Cole, thanks. Thanks very much for your time. It's been uh, great to speak to you as well. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, mate. All the best. Have a great uh, finished year, mate. Merry Christmas.